criminal case against Ms. Meng is based on allegations that are simply untrue. Ms. Meng on the move. The drama at her court appearance today. A master class in de-escalation. They were just concerned about his well-being. How police took a troubled man into custody. And a random act of kindness. I didn't have to like think about it. I didn't second guess myself. How a fast food manager served up something very special for a customer in need. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Some tense moments today for Kwantlen students. RCMP responding to what they're calling an unsubstantiated threat at the university that wasn't specific to any one campus. And as a result, out of an abundance of caution, the school decided to evacuate and close all five of its campuses for the remainder of the day. RCMP have since conducted a floor-by-floor -floor search and issued an all-clear. We have not found any indication of any danger to the public, um, no indication of any imminent threat to the public, um, and we have not found anything that would suggest um, that there was any substance to the threat that was uh, given to the university. Meantime, Fraser Highway in Alder Grove was closed briefly between 272nd and 273rd Streets after report that two devices resembling grenades were located in a business. The explosive unit was called in and the businesses on either side were evacuated as a precaution. Eventually, it was determined both grenades had been rendered inert long ago. Still, RCMP took them away. Now a troubling scene unfolding in the, busy, in the middle of a busy street in Delta. A man obviously suffering from a mental health crisis, naked, climbing onto cars. Sarah McDonald explains how this potentially volatile situation was resolved peacefully. The incident is disturbing and unsettling for more reasons than one. Adult man naked and, according to police, in the throes of a mental health crisis, walking into oncoming traffic in Delta Tuesday evening with cameras rolling. As one vehicle with children inside it finds itself at the center of a quickly escalating situation. The man, who appears calm and is known to police, climbs onto the vehicle as his driver frantically works to remove the young passengers. Then he gets inside. The children, now the ones dodging traffic, before a bystander removes the individual from the vehicle and subdues him. As officers arrive on scene. Asked him to sit on the median, he complied, and they were able to uh, affect um, an apprehension under the Mental Health Act. De-escalation tactics for mental health crises like this one are increasingly becoming more routine for officers. We were very glad to see that the incident uh, was resolved without anyone being hurt because that's often not the case. And we were also really happy to hear that the Delta Police has de-escalation and other training to be able to deal with these situations. That being said, we believe that it's possible to provide people the help they need with dignity before things escalate to a crisis like this. The individual at the center of this incident ultimately apprehended and hospitalized under the Mental Health Act. Around here nowadays is not, it's not really surprising. Things like that, I mean, that's kind of rare to catch it like that out in public, but it, it happens a lot. They don't have the help for the people that need it anymore, so the resources aren't there. 
Police say the occupants of this vehicle escaped shaken but uninjured. Unwittingly caught in the crosshairs of a private battle with mental illness turned very public. Sarah McDonald, Global News. It was a crowded courtroom today as Huawei's chief financial officer, Meng Wanzhou, made an appearance with her lawyers as she seeks to have the case thrown out. Meng was arrested at YVR last December at the request of U.S. authorities. She's accused of violating U.S. trade sanctions against Iran. Ramina Dea breaks down the argument to free Meng and what's at stake. Meng Wanzhou, the target of serious charter violations by the FBI, RCMP and CBSA, says the legal team representing the billionaire executive of Chinese telecom giant Huawei. We have maintained that her U.S.-ordered arrest was an unlawful abuse of process, one guided by political considerations and tactics, not by the rule of law. Meng's delayed arrest, search and seizure, and three-hour detention at YVR on December 1st, unlawful, argued defense. Therefore, Meng's legal team will be filing an application for a stay of proceedings. The U.S. is seeking the extradition of Meng Huawei's CFO on charges of bank and wire fraud for allegedly violating American sanctions against Iran. Meng and Huawei adamant they're innocent. The allegation she faces is not a crime in Canada, and therefore the extradition request does not satisfy the double criminality requirement. Meng's freedom, not the only thing at stake as the trade war between the U.S. and China intensifies. Canada caught in the web with two of its citizens, accused of spying, being held in Beijing without charges. Two other Canadians are on death row for smuggling drugs. And most recently, China blocked Canadian canola products and two major pork producers had their export permits suspended. They're alienating allies uh, around the world, um, but they're, they're trying to do a trade deal um, because that's what the U.S. president wants. And uh, they don't seem to care about all the damage they'll do to relations with other countries as they try to get to that deal with China. As the diplomatic dispute rages on, Meng remains on $10 million bail, attached to an electronic monitoring ankle bracelet. Her request to move to her other multi-million dollar Vancouver home, granted by the judge. Romina Dea, Global News. The province has announced a crackdown on both landlords and tenants who break BC's tenancy laws. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with the details. Keith, this is in response to the findings from the Rental Housing Task Force. Yes, you remember uh, last fall the amount uh, your rent could increase was capped as a result of the recommendation from that task force. Today, a bit of an update from the NDP of where they are at in implementing other recommendations. And one of the big problems they, they think they've uncovered is a lot of people just don't know what the, the laws are and the rules are. So here's what they're looking at. First of all, a public education campaign is about to begin, and that's uh, to learn, learn everybody about and teach everybody the rules governing ten tenants and landlords' rights. Uh, new guidelines for dem evictions, though, that's not going to be completed until the end of this year, and the whole strata rental restrictions and short-term rentals won't be dealt with until next year. Uh, but uh, the new compliance and enforcement uh, unit is now in operation just for a few weeks. And the guy running the unit made his first appearance in front of the media today, Scott McGregor, talking about just what his unit does and just how busy they've been uh, in such a short time. Right now, we are actively investigating 21 different cases. 
uh, and that is really just started in the past three to four weeks and I expect after today our volume is going to go up significantly so I've got a staff of five including me so it's a typical day we come in we'll we will receive a number of complaints we triage them we assess them based on risk and then we prioritize our investigations based on level of risk and Scott McGregor says they've already fined one landlord $5,000, and they actually can fine them $5,000 a day. And as you just heard him, he expects the number now to go up in terms of investigations because everybody watching programs like this are going to realize that unit's in existence and will start to uh, file complaints. But he hopes, he tells me, over time, he actually thinks the number of investigations will go down as everybody learns the rules and learns the laws when it comes to tenants' and landlords' rights. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. More tonight on those automated speed cameras the province is activating this summer at 35 high-risk intersections across B.C. The provincial government insists the goal is to cut speed and save lives. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, several questions about the program have not been answered. And that's fueling allegations of a cash grab. We know where the cameras will be. Granville and King Edward, a notorious spot for speeders and red light runners, among 35 BC intersections to have one. I think it's actually not a bad idea. But there's still a lot we don't know about these automated speed cameras coming online this summer. For starters, the government won't tell us how far over the limit a driver needs to be going to trigger the long lens of the law. We have no plans, as neither does any other province, release what the speed is at which the, uh, the, the camera is activated. That secret, a huge concern for this lawyer who defends people with speeding tickets. And if they're not going to be providing that information in disclosure, they're going to be facing applications for stays on the basis of violations of constitutional rights because it's relevant evidence that needs to be disclosed. 900 crashes happen every day in the province, about 60% according to ICBC at intersections. But do cameras deter speeders? A recent report done for the Alberta government found photo radar leads to only marginal safety improvements, a 1.4% reduction in collisions over the last decade. This could easily slide down the slope to a cash grab. How much do you expect this will bring in and where does the money go? This isn't uh, about revenue. But it will bring in millions. Right now, municipalities get most of the speeding revenue. But with more money coming in, the minister leaves the door open to the province taking more. We have said that we wanted to sit down with local government and discuss um, you know, on a go-forward basis with a guarantee that there would be no change in revenue to local government. And he says this program is much different from the photo radar British Columbians knew and loathed in the 90s. There's going to be signs, warning signs, telling you you're entering an intersection that's got a camera. Drive like a normal person and you're not going to get a ticket. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A very visual protest in Victoria today, drawing attention to the lack of choice when it comes to car insurance in this province. 30-foot-tall monopolist man, as he's called. The balloon set up on the lawn of the legislature today. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation calling on the B.C. government to open up ICBC to competition and end the monopoly. We pay the highest auto insurance rates in all of Canada. It's fundamentally unfair, especially nowadays when we have the highest gas prices in all of North America. Having the highest auto insurance rates just adds insult to injury. 
A Vancouver family has gathered nearly 100,000 signatures in their effort to change the laws for repeat dangerous drivers. Alphonsus Huey was killed in a crash caused by a driver who was speeding on Oak Street in 2015. As John Waugh reports, his daughter is still hoping for justice as she prepares to head back to court to appeal the acquittal of the accused. In a horrifying split second caught on dash cam video. The life of beloved doctor and father Alphonsus Huey was stolen away in a South Vancouver intersection. I'd be lying if I said that um, I don't miss him literally every single day. The operator of the other vehicle, Ken Chung, was driving nearly three times the posted speed limit before the impact, but was still acquitted of dangerous driving causing death. It was so incomprehensible to me, especially given the plethora of evidence. Everybody's seen the dash cam video now. The date for Crown's chance to appeal the judge's decision set for the end of May. The fact that this legal case continues to go on and on, it keeps us hostage in that same place. Mr. Farnworth. Huey's journey for justice has been a hard road. Appeals to BC's public safety minister and superintendent of motor vehicles at this point yielding no change. I really ran out of steam because I was hitting dead end after dead end. Still, her petition demanding stiffer penalties for excessive speeders with repeat offenses is nearing 100,000 signatures. Just one driver like that can be in a position of continuing to injure or worse yet kill more fathers, more brothers, more sisters. Chung's lawyer would not comment on the case, stating the matter is now before the courts. I'm not over it. I will never be over it. My family will never be over it. Huey says if their faith in the legal system isn't restored, they won't stop until the law is changed. John Hua, Global News. Friends of a pastor killed in a fiery crash at the Peace Arch border crossing are reaching out for help tonight. Tom Chung left behind a wife and three children. Grace Key has more on how he's being remembered and the efforts to rally around his family. Pastor Tom Chung left Hong Kong for Canada in 1996, hoping for a better life for his family. But last week, his life ended tragically in a fiery crash at the Peace Arch border crossing. He was on his way home after picking up some books for his ministry. We have too many unknowns and too many uncertainties. They're just confused, like, what, what happened? Like, why this happened? The crash happened last Thursday at 11.30 in the morning on the Canadian side of the border. A Toyota van burst into flames after a Porsche Cayenne crashed into it. The Washington state man in the SUV was arrested and released pending an investigation. Pastor Chung was in the van and died at the scene. Friends say many lives have been transformed because of him. He has been helping a lot of people going through various crises. So it's so shocking to so many people, you know, see the, the major caregiver now became the care receivers. Chung was the lead pastor at Port Moody Pacific Grace MB Church. A longtime Richmond resident, he leaves behind a wife and three children, the youngest, a 12-year-old girl. When we can have faith, we can have hope. If we have faith and hope, we can still experience God's love and love from other people. As the main provider of the family, friends have set up a GoFundMe page, hoping to relieve some of the financial burden during this difficult time. Grace Key, Global News. Just when it looked like there was no hope, an unlikely hero comes to the rescue of people trapped by fire. That's coming up.
And reaction to the new royal baby's name. How many people expected it to be Archie? That's later. Right now, though, a disturbing discovery prompting serious questions tonight about how conservation disposes of problem wildlife. The concern raised by a mission resident who tells Global News she's found multiple dead bears at the city dump. Nadia Stewart reports and a warning some of the images may be disturbing to some viewers. For several days, these photos have left Brianna Kettlewell searching for answers. In one picture, I see a dead baby cub laying on the pile of landfill. Trying to figure out why a dead bear would be disposed of at the local landfill site. Kettlewell contacted Global News after she obtained these photos. She says she contacted the Mission Sanitary Landfill, where it appears the animal's body was left. That only left her with more questions. Everywhere else I call, they just say, oh, I don't know, or call this number, call that number, and all this stuff, and it's frustrating. She isn't the only one asking questions about the photos. Is there a necropsy being done? Was toxicology done? Michael Howie with the uh, Fur Bearers you know, Association says more detail is needed about how the bear died and why. How did we get to here? Um, what happened before this to lead to the decisions that led to a bear being killed? If that bear was killed, what else was done? In an email, the BC Conservation Service says where there is no other appropriate use for the animal, there are limited options for disposal other than in landfill or in the natural environment. Officers make efforts to ensure the animal's body is dealt with in a considerate manner and when left at landfill, that it is covered from view. We're told officers will ensure in future the bears are covered, but Kettlewell says the policy still does not sit well with her. It's inhumane, right? It doesn't need to be killed that way, and it definitely does not deserve to be dumped in a dump. Nadia Stork, Global News. A public warning about coyotes follows an attack on a child in White Rock. A three-year-old girl was bitten in the parking lot of Centennial and Ruth Johnson Parks around 5 o'clock last night. Thankfully, the child was not seriously injured and was treated on scene. Conservation tracked and killed the animal shortly afterwards. Officers say the area is safe to enjoy, but people are encouraged to be vigilant about their safety. Hike in groups if possible, and always keep dogs on a leash. A test of our national emergency alert system lit up the phones of most Canadians today. The alarm also sounding on TVs and radios. The goal of the system, which is tested twice a year, is to provide critical and potentially life-saving alerts to Canadians about situations considered a threat to life. The system wasn't tested today in Ontario and Quebec as so as not to trigger panic among residents already dealing with historic flooding. And now the potential for some financial alarm bells going off. Do you know what kind of credentials your financial advisor has? A recent survey apparently found many British Columbians don't know exactly who they're trusting with their money. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, has more on the misconceptions and how it could hurt you. Anne? Mm -hmm. Could really hurt you financially. Thanks, you too. The poll commissioned by Advocates, Canada's Voluntary Association of Financial Advisors, shows that nearly half of us mistakenly believe their industry is regulated and that could put investors at risk of receiving poor advice or worse. Although a license is needed to sell financial products in this country, financial advisors are 
are not required to have any educational accreditation like doctors and lawyers. A survey of 1,000 British Columbians found only 54% are aware that anyone can call themselves a financial advisor. 89% said they would support the provincial government passing legislation to regulate the title of financial advisor. Last month, the Ontario government moved to protect consumers against unqualified financial advice with proposed legislation that would require anyone using the titles of financial planner or advisor to have an appropriate credential. Advocates, which has long been calling for regulations, including a public registry for advisor background checks, wants BC to do the same. Having these regulations and, and raising that, that professional bar, what it'll do is, is it will recognize unscrupulous people it will protect consumers by removing fraudsters or hopefully if they type in someone's name and it doesn't come up on that directory, they know better than to deal with that person. And, and every person, you know, hardworking Main Street British Columbian who, who gets money stolen from them or, you know, from somebody who isn't legitimate, it, it tarnishes the industry, but it also really hurts them personally because they've lost some of their money or some of their, their savings. We are told the B.C. government is reviewing the legislation proposed by Ontario and will continue discussions with FP Canada, advocates and other industry experts on the best way to protect consumers. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Very cool. Thanks very much, Ann. Well, it is McHappy Day, and we'll have more about that in a moment. But first, how a young employee at a Langley McDonald's is getting a lot of attention for spreading a little joy of his own. As Aaron MacArthur reports, his random act of kindness to comfort a customer has sparked a flood of praise on social media. Scott Farnock is always moving. At work at the Brookswood McDonald's in Langley, he's busy. But it was a moment of quiet he's being recognized for. Just so sweet of him to do and so kind. Tammy Stouffer Jacobson was in the restaurant grabbing a coffee. She'd just come from the funeral of her father-in-law, Socred Cabinet Minister Norm Jacobson. She couldn't get the order out quite right. Scott stepped in with his staff card and took care of the drink. So, of course, um, you know, I started to cry and he came around the corner and he gave me a really big hug. It was a small gesture that sent Tammy over the edge. Thank you so much in a time of need when I really needed it. Somebody was there. Scott brushes it all off. I didn't even really think it was that big of a thing, you know. Tammy isn't so sure. She took to social media and the post went regionally viral. I really posted it because I wanted everybody to know, but I really wanted your mom to know. Scott's mom saw it. It was the second mother he made cry that day. That night I called her and I told her what had happened and I read out what she said and... I was like, hello, are you there? And she was just crying. And I, I was like, what's going on? She just said she was so, so proud of me. People are calling the Brookswood McDonald's about what happened and calling head office too, commending the young man. Scott thinks it's all a bit ridiculous. Because it's something that everyone should be doing every day, right? I, I agree with and that's you, why yeah. I'm really surprised that it caught so much traction. It's because yeah. it shouldn't be a surprise to people that like nice things. Aaron MacArthur. Global News. Well, Scott is a good guy, and so is that. That's Burnaby Mayor Mike Hurley slinging some fast food for McDonald's McHappy Day. 
One dollar from the sale of every Happy Meal or Big Mac goes to support Ronald McDonald House. I was there too. Paul Hasem, Christie, and several other local celebrities took part. Michael Newman was there. Thanks to every customer who came through and to the amazing staff, including manager Chris, right beside me there, who made sure we didn't get any orders wrong. But it was a sure a fun day, and it raised a lot of money, $3,000 just in that hour that we were there, a new record for them. Well, you probably helped with the 20 Big Macs and 20 orders of fries you brought back for us. Thank you very much. I had to share. Had to I, share and we appreciate here. it. You're <laughs> no, our hero today. No trouble. Thanks, Chris. A crane operator in northeast China is being hailed as a hero after his quick thinking saved 14 people trapped in an apartment fire. He quickly drove his crane over to the building, allowing trapped residents to climb onto the platform. One man says he would have jumped had it not been for the crane. And one more thing about this, the hero crane operator is only 19 years old. Well done. Quick thinking. A shocking sight in an exclusive Los Angeles neighborhood. Police and federal agents seizing more than a thousand guns from a home in the Holmby Hills area, best known as the neighborhood of the Playboy Mansion and Jay-Z and Beyonce's home. The investigation was launched after police were told a suspect was manufacturing and selling illegal firearms. Uber and Lyft drivers around the world followed through on their threat to strike today. In New York, a caravan of rideshare drivers cruised down the Brooklyn Bridge today, opting not to take fares during the morning rush. The strike comes one day before Uber's initial public offering, which could be worth more than $90 billion. Drivers say they're not seeing enough of that profit for themselves and are demanding better job security and pay. Uber in New York, Uber in LA, Uber in the Six, Uber in the Bay. Meantime, local rapper, artist, AK, and producer Sound of Kalima have turned Vancouver's lack of Uber into a musical inspiration. Their song references the fact that Uber is in Toronto, San Francisco, and almost every other major city, but not in Vancouver. AK says they wrote the song two years ago when they heard that Uber was coming to Vancouver, but they've been sitting on it and waiting ever since. So they put it out now to generate more conversation about the ride-sharing delay. They couldn't wait any longer. <laughs> no, and it... it it's a catchy tune. It is stuck right now. Mm -hmm. In Health Matters tonight, a wake-up call for all of us from the Canadian Cancer Society. It's a new report that says four out of ten cancer cases in Canada could be prevented simply by lifestyle changes. And unless we change our ways, we're in for a huge spike in preventable cancers. Linda Aylesworth reports. We know what we need to do to be healthy. Don't smoke. Watch our weight. Eat healthy food be active. How important are those things? The Canadian Cancer Society recently funded a study to find out. About 70,000 cancers uh, could be prevented um, by reducing our uh, exposure to those preventable causes of cancer. This study found that if we keep our current lifestyles by the year 2042, cancers caused by excess weight will triple to 21,000. There are certain hormones and growth factors that are in our cells that is believed to be the cause of then impacting cancer risk related to excess weight. 
cancers caused by physical inactivity will jump to over 16,000. What we do know is there is an absolute correlation between physical inactivity and increased cancer risk. And tobacco-related cancers will rise to nearly 47,000. About 86% of lung cancers could be um, eliminated if we didn't engage in those activities. Some reports show smoking is on the rise in Canada. Others find it's decreasing. But most agree the rate sits at around 15%. We can do better. BC has one of the best programs. So that's the Quit Now program, which is a free government program run here through the BC Lung Association. There's lots we can do to reduce the risk, and lots the government could be doing to help us more. If we don't act, we could see a 60% increase in cancers by 2042 that might have been prevented. Well, there isn't a guarantee, but those things definitely do help to improve our overall health and reduce the risk of cancer. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The name is Archie. Not short for Archibald. No. It's just Archie. Prince Harry and Meghan finally presenting their first son to the world, along with a name that once again bucks royal tradition. Two-day-old Archie Harrison Mountbatten Winter, named tonight with an announcement on Instagram and from Buckingham Palace. Earlier sleeping through a history-making moment as this part American royal baby was introduced to the world. He has the sweetest temperament. He's really calm and... Um... And this, the moment today, he met his great-grandmother the Queen for the first time. His great-grandfather, Prince Philip, and grandmother Doria looking on. We're just so thrilled to have, have our own little bundle of joy. On the streets of Windsor, surprised at the name, many delighted, Archie Harrison. Fantastic, absolutely lovely, yeah? really like it. Others not so sure. Quite American. But yeah, it's okay. His parents, Megan with a reassuring hand, seemed simply relieved to have got through today without a hitch. Tonight they have chosen not to give little Archie Harrison a title, perhaps a sign they hope to raise him without royal heirs and graces. Princess Diana would be proud. Well, needless to say, Archie wasn't high on the list for British oddsmakers who put it at anywhere from 100 to 150 to 1. They say there were just 60 bets placed on the name Archie, including one unnamed woman who reportedly put just over $200 Canadian on the name, and she is going to get a check for about $31,000. Still a pretty good payout, okay. I would say. I know you don't want to, but you have to do your joke now. Which one? I have several have, Archie jokes. You have the two first Archie one or jokes. the second one? I like the first one. Knock knock. Who's there? Archie. Archie who? Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Google, <laughs> for embarrassing me. It was the only Archie okay. joke until I thought up another one, and that's coming later. In okay, I can't wait. All right, a sea otter that can play catch. That's not even the half of it. We'll show you the rest after the forecast. <laughs> that is so cute. Okay, it got a little odd there for a while. Let's check in with Christy <laughs> to bring it all back in, talking about the weather, and it could be record-setting maybe. 
Yes, so tomorrow and Friday, we will likely break records, especially on Friday. We're expecting that. These were temperatures today at the airport, certainly much cooler. Quite a breeze down by the water today, 20 to 40 kilometers an hour at times, and that kept things cooler, but that's going to change tomorrow. That warmth will filter all the way out towards the coast. So a range today from 17 to 24 degrees across Metro Vancouver. Tomorrow, we will soar 21 to 28, and then 24 to 28 on Thursday and Friday. Saturday, just slightly cooler, but especially cooler on Sunday. More comfortable, I guess you could say. But it's those numbers there that I have cause for concern because some areas across the province could be close to 30 degrees. And in 10 minutes at 30 degrees, your car could heat up to 42 degrees. Let's look at some of the numbers, shall we, to really drive this home. Hot cars are deadly. Last year, 52 children died in cars. Six have died this year already. And it can happen in one hour in just one hour and I was surprised at this stat in the shade it can be deadly a car in the shade in two hours very quickly all right fire danger rating across the province now look at it across the south coast already moderate to high all across the south coast I had a look at the BC wildfire service uh, website earlier today only 10 fires across the province but but when I looked back at it this afternoon four new ones and there isn't any lightning across the province Category 2 fire ban across northern regions, and this is why. Heat and sunshine, and that's what we're expecting not only tomorrow, but Friday and Saturday also. So mid to upper 20s right across the region. It is going to be hot. It is going to be dry. Drink your water, wear your sunscreen, and then Mother's Day we'll see a little bit more cloud, but still very pleasant conditions for all you mothers out there. And I'll leave you with a really cute shot. This is Fox, little Fox in the forget-me-nots. Thanks to Matt for that. Lovely. Thank you very much, Christy. Cute name. Well, someone called the Harlem Globetrotters. The Portland Zoo has a potential small forward. Trailblazers might want him. Juno, the sea otter, can play catch. She can even dunk the ball. The five-year-old was rescued off the coast of California, and zookeepers say not only does she dunk, but she'll break out moves like the 360. <laughs> Now, it's not all fun and games. The caregivers believe it's crucial to their well-being. Watch this one. It's a roll and a double dunk. They taught another otter named Eddie to shoot hoops as a way to exercise his arthritic elbows, and he ended up living to almost 21 years old. So they say it works. This guy's got to go to the All-Star weekend. (laughs) So (laughs) there's a window by our by our production control room, and when Squire goes ripping by there, it can freak people out who are worried about the production of the show. Well, they show. think I won't make it down. They think you won't make it I down. I always, the well, well you're 98% of the time I make it down. Sometimes I'm out of breath. Sometimes I'm <laughs> you're full fine. of breath. Good shape. Or hot air, whatever you like. Um, the Prince Albert Raiders had a house wrecking party at the Vancouver Giants' expense last night. Seven first period goals. An 8-2 win. 2-1 lead now in the series. The only solace for Vancouver is after the first 20 minutes, they outscored Prince Albert 2-1. But Prince Albert took its foot off the gas a bit, I would think, too. Game four is tonight. Obviously, the Giants' defense needs to be a whole lot better. To talk about game four is Jay, who has Prince Albert coach Mark Habscheid with him. And I don't even think Habscheid can believe how well things went for his team last night. 
Well, let's game four tonight between the Prince Albert Raiders and the Vancouver Giants. Mark Habshad, before we talk about tonight's game, I want to talk about yesterday's because I cannot recall the last time I saw a team score seven goals in an opening period of a Western Hockey League championship. Yeah, I can't recall that either. It was, uh, I don't know, you just get on a roll and just couldn't stop it. We just kept going and bounces went our way, but the guys are ready to play. You know, we... Uh, we saw their starting lineup, so we knew how they kind of wanted to play, so we had to be ready, and we just wanted to play hard and get ready off the start, and the guys did a good job. Since uh, losing the opening game of the series, you've outscored the Vancouver Giants 12-2, to 16 goals in three games. Mm-hmm. But when you take a deep dive into your lineup, you only have three drafted players and not a single first-round NHL pick. How are you doing it? Well, they're good players. You know, sometimes guys get overlooked, and and uh, that's, I think, what's happened in our case. We have good players, uh, make no doubt. We're, I'm lucky to be coaching these guys. They're skilled, and I think uh, what, not only are they good players, they're better people, and they play together as a team. They put each other before themselves, and that's what's important. And when you do that, you'll have individual success, and that's what's happening right now. I know last night we chatted with you after the game, and you were downplaying the fact that you played such a strong first period, but... What do you say to the boys to get them fired up again tonight? Or do you need to say anything after that 8-2 win last night? No, they're pretty businesslike. I think you've seen that. They they know. Uh, they know what's going on. And and we're not here to win one game. We're here to win a series. And But if they want to duplicate last night tonight, I wouldn't be afraid of that either. Squire, the Prince Albert Raiders slogan is, It's our time. They're up 2-1 in the series. Game 5 will go Friday. And if Game 6 and 7 are necessary, Sunday, Monday, back in Prince Albert. All right, to the Shark Tank. Martin Jones and the Sharks, game number seven against Colorado. They have Joe Pavelski back. Of course, he was injured in the final game against Vegas. Tips in a shot there. And it's 1-0. Now Evander Kane with the chance to make it 2-0. No. Gets it to the captain. Pavelski in front. Tomas Hurdle. Two-zip Sharks. But Colorado has scored. 2-1 after one. Winner gets St. Louis in the Western Conference Final. Tottenham and Ajax. Yesterday, it was Liverpool who had the incredible rally to reach the Champions League final. Today, it was Tottenham. Down two zip. They lost the first game 1-0. They scored three. Well, actually, uh, Lucas Mora scored three. And they ended up winning this. So now it's going to be an all-English final. Tottenham and Liverpool. I think that's only happened once before in 2008, I believe. Okay, quarterback Ricky Ray waving goodbye to the CFL after 16 years. Started his career with the Eskimos in 2005. Nine years there. Won a couple of Grey Cups. Became one of the game's best passers ever in the CFL. Joined the Argos in 2012. Led them to a couple of Grey Cup victories as well. Hasn't played, though, since a serious neck injury suffered last season. Leaves the game at the age of 39. One of the most accomplished CFL quarterbacks ever. Tough looking at that hit. Painful but, to watch. Uh, what a there career. Yep. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thanks very much, Chris. A Vancouver woman ended up taking home a very unexpected souvenir from her recent trip to Cuba. This is what she found in her kitchen. A scorpion. She immediately took it to the Dudney Animal Hospital in Maple Ridge, where it is right now. We'll have more on that. And quite the sight in Vancouver Harbor this afternoon. This is a Peruvian tall ship. We'll let you know what it's doing here, how long it will be here, and where you can see it. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. So North Van Guy firefighter is Mm -hmm. moonlighting in the NFL. (laughs) A firefighter moonlighting? I've never heard of that. (laughs) Um, Well, they got a lot of time off. you got to do something. That's right. So uh, Dave Hawkshaw has been a CFL referee for a long time. I think 13 years. Mm -hmm. 
and then recently he changed leagues. What Dave Hawkshaw is doing is studying up for his new job. I'm the first guy, first Canadian to be hired from the CFL to work in the NFL. Dave was a CFL official for 13 years before getting the call from the National Football League. I got called on April 16th at uh, 1.21 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> you know exactly the time. Yeah, I was with my wife, Jill, who uh, we were just leaving Costco in, uh, in Burnaby, and it was 212 area code, and I knew it was, that's what I was waiting for. I was like, this is the call. There are, of course, differences between the two leagues. By the way, that's Dave, number 23, chasing G. Roy Simon, which has required plenty of the aforementioned studying. Yeah, so I have the rule book, and I've uh, actually rewritten the whole rule book word for word, and I've turned a bunch of it into flashcards, and then they also have a, ho a hopper, hopper book, which is all their enforcements for all their penalties, so I put that into flashcards and working through that. Perhaps the biggest adjustment is size, because the NFL does have a smaller field. Well, I really think that that is what makes the NFL game so fast, is the size of the field. Dave is not just a zebra, he's a son of a zebra. His father, Bruce, was also a CFL official. Who was the first person you called after the NFL called you? My dad. My wife was already in the car. <laughs> How happy was he? Uh, he's over the moon. He's excited. Yeah, he's looking forward to coming to a bunch of games this year. And yeah, it's going to yeah. be awesome. Refing football games isn't Dave's main job. He's a North Vancouver firefighter as well. And so is his wife, which means a lot of family juggling. Well, I feel like... It's something that's really important to him, and he really loves doing it. And so whatever I can do to support him, whether it's uh, getting shift covered so I can look after the kids or, you know, helping him by quizzing him or giving him time to study. My wife has been, you know, the backbone of this. Like, we've, you know, I've come up through professional officiating. That's been amazing that she's been able to help out. She's, you know, pretty much made this whole thing work, really. That's so cool. See? Behind every good man. Mm-hmm. I can't believe how much he studied. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But you, you can't hesitate out there. Right. You know. It's and you have come. thousands of fans, millions of fans. <laughs> yeah, criticizing waiting, you. Waiting to criticize. <laughs> yeah. Well, enjoy right the sunshine out there. Thanks very much for watching. And thanks to everybody who came out for McHappy Day today. Happy McHappy Day. If you're wondering what to have for dinner. <laughs>